This is The Guardian. Today, the Conservative Party stands accused of Islamophobia yet again. So why won't they address it? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. My first experience of activity with the Conservative Party was at the age of seven, going out leafleting and knocking door to door. And this was for the election campaign, which would see the first woman Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, elected in 1979. Sajad Karim is a solicitor, a consultant, a conservative and a Muslim from the north of England. He served as a local councillor in Pendle Borough and as an MEP in Brussels for 15 years. Well, I was the first British Muslim elected to the European Parliament, which I regarded as a tremendous honour. Over the last couple of decades, most of the time, my religion is not even of any relevance, and neither has my race been either. But I have to say, um, since 2016 onwards, slowly, slowly, and then 2019 onwards, rocket boosters have been placed upon regression in attitudes. You know, it's happened in the Conservative Party, and you therefore see it playing out in the country as a whole as well. Since that Brexit referendum, dozens of Conservative councillors, Conservative MPs, even a Conservative Prime Minister in Boris Johnson have been accused of Islamophobia with few consequences. But in the last week, the MP Lee Anderson has pushed the Tory party into a crisis it refuses to name, let alone fix. And Muslim Conservatives, like Kareem, might be wondering about where they stand in the party. I'll tell you exactly where I am with this. Membership subs were last paid. I mean, I pay them on an annual basis. It's a 12-month subscription that's paid, so that was paid. My membership card has been cut into and is in the bin in my kitchen, ready to be taken away this week at some stage. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the Conservative Party's problem with Islamophobia... Archie Bland, you're a columnist and the editor of The Guardian's first edition newsletter. And you've been following this story about Islamophobia within the Tory party since it first gained traction last week. What triggered it? So the great Lee Anderson debacle of 2024 began last Friday when Lee Anderson, who is the Conservative MP for Ashfield, went on GB News to talk about pro-Palestinian demonstrations outside Parliament earlier in the week. I mean, I was there, as you know, on on Wednesday night. We could hear the commotion outside. Uh, That is not an exceptional thing for an MP like him to talk about, but what he said was pretty out of the ordinary. 
He said that he believes that Islamists, as he put it, have control, his phrase, of Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, and of London itself. And he said that Khan had given our capital city away to his mates. They've got control of Khan, and they've got control of London, and they've got control of Storm as well. And we've seen the shocking scenes played out in Parliament. And uh, that might sound pretty shocking, but the presenter, Martin Daubney, didn't seem to think so. Thanks for joining us, Lee Emerson. No, you've had your Weetabix. Superb stuff. Right. OK, so tell me a bit more about Lee Anderson and his place in the Tory party. So if you were going to predict a Conservative MP who might say something like that, he would certainly be very high on your shortlist of the candidates. But Lee Anderson hasn't actually been a Conservative very long or an MP for very long. He was a member of the Labour Party and a councillor until 2018, when he lost that position because, according to the local council leader, he was misogynistic. He apparently, according to her, said that women's place was in the kitchen. A year later, he was a Conservative MP and he got that position in the wave in the so-called red wall of previously Labour seats going to the Conservative Party as part of the fallout from the Brexit debate. The speed of his rise in the party, though, is really remarkable. And the reason for it, really, is because he is somebody who, as they would put it, tells it like it is, although he quite often tells it like it isn't, in fact, and as a sayer of the unsayable who actually says things that people say all the time. OK, I've got the picture. He has form for saying things like this. That's the other important thing to say. Being deliberately provocative, it seems like, and going places where a cabinet minister might refuse to tread. So he has said, for example, that uh, people who use food banks can't budget or cook properly. That's how he got the nickname 30p Lee for saying that people can cook a meal for 30p. In this country, we've got generation after generation who cannot cook properly. They can't cook a meal from scratch. They cannot budget. The challenge is there. He said that asylum seekers who didn't like uh, the... The accommodation centres they were sent to should fuck off back to France. He's come out in favour of the death penalty, uh, lots of other things like that. And, and it's really important to note that whatever you think of Lee Anderson, he isn't speaking in a vacuum and he gets positive feedback for this whenever he does it. He became deputy chairman of the Conservative Party partly because... Despite all of this. Well, because of all of this, because he's viewed as a sort of a channel to the kind of red wall voters who the Conservatives believe, correctly or not, that they need to get to win the next election. And anytime he says one of these things, if a minister is asked about it, they won't say that he was wrong. Uh, they will say that his language was a bit salty, but he was trying to say this, or that he was speaking up for people who aren't normally heard in politics, or they will say that he's a fantastic asset for the party. But they won't exactly endorse what he says, but they will basically say, oh, that's just Lee. But in this instance, as you said, Archie, he claims straight face that London has been taken over by Islamists. Why and how did that go down? At first, the Conservatives actually defended it. They said that this was simply a response to the fact that Sadiq Khan had, quote, failed to get a grip on the appalling Islamist marches that we have seen in London recently. But very quickly, there was an outcry. Sadiq Khan himself, uh, who is a Muslim, said that it was an Islamophobic thing to say. These comments uh, pour fuel on the fire of anti-Muslim uh, hatred. And I'm afraid the deafening silence from Rishi Sunak and from the cabinet is uh, them condoning uh, this uh, racism. Many Labour politicians and many kind of commentators and just ordinary people thought that it was an obviously racist thing to say. Within the Conservative Party, the reaction was more complicated than that. There were people who were critical of it, but 
there were more people who tried to find a way to not endorse what he said, but to play for time. As being racist, will you call out Lee Anderson for his racist comment? I think um, Sadiq Khan is not a very good mayor for London. I think he's poor for this capital, uh, and I have many criticisms. I wouldn't go after him in a personalised uh, way like that. That's not, I think, helpful. Eventually, think that, um, Simon Hart, who's the chief whip, said that because Lee Anderson had failed to apologise, he was being suspended from the parliamentary party. But it is really important to note that he said that the problem was that Anderson had not apologised. Not what he said. So I guess you would say he'd said that there was something he needed to apologise for, but he certainly said that if he had apologised, then it could just be written off. Six weeks ago, he was deputy chair of the party. Tonight, Lee Anderson is no longer a Conservative MP. Following these comments he made about the London mayor, Sadiq Khan. So Archie, Lee Anderson has refused to apologise. In fact, in a statement, he said, when you think you're right, you should never apologise because to do so would be a sign of weakness. As you said, he's had the whip suspended and usually you might think that's the end of a news cycle with a story like this. But the headlines didn't go away for the Tories. So I guess Lee Anderson has sought to present himself now as a martyr for the people who think the way that he thinks. And there are two reasons that the story has continued. One is that he just can't stop giving interviews about it, in which he basically says the same things, in which he flirts with joining the Reform Party, which is to the right of the Conservative Party even. The other, and probably more consequential reason that it has not gone away, is that the Conservative Party has tied itself in knots as it has sought to deal with the fallout from this story. And what that has really come down to is a debate that has sort of become now absurd over whether they use the word wrong or the word Islamophobic. And what you have seen is a series of ministers go on the airwaves and say, clearly following a very strictly monitored script, that what Lee Anderson said was wrong. But when they are asked why it was wrong, they simply say again, it was wrong. That does it. Yeah, and then they will say it was wrong because he said it, and he said it, and it was wrong. And it will go on and on like that until, in at least one case, uh, the interviewer Nick Ferrari pulled the plug. But that is, again and again, what the Conservatives have done. I'm never, I'm normally a very polite man. I'm actually going to effectively put the fact, I'll ask you now, for the third time, I've asked you six times why it was necessary. For the third time, was it Islamophobic? Uh, Nick, it was wrong. I'll have to curtail the interview there. I'm grateful for your time. Rishi Sunak did not use the word Islamophobic. And there is an absolute refusal to link the idea that what he said was wrong with the reason that it was wrong, which to anybody who thinks it was wrong would presumably be because it was racist or Islamophobic or to use the Tories' preferred phrase, anti-Muslim. Why is there this repeated refusal to recognise the word Islamophobia? That is a good question, and there is an answer from within the Conservative Party. Uh, Kemi Badenoch has said that the term Islamophobia is the wrong one to use because it can shut down debate over legitimate questions about extremism and because it can be a backdoor to a blasphemy law. There are very good reasons to have objections to that point, one of which is that nobody is asking them to write the word Islamophobia into law. They're just asking them to use it in relation to their own party and their own internal processes. Another of which is that it's just the word that people use and refusing to use it makes it feel like you are making a point by not using it. And I think that gets to the heart of what a lot of people would see as the real reason here, which is that if Rishi Sunak or any other senior conservative calls Lee Anderson Islamophobic, 
they fear that the consequences will be that they will lose the support of a whole bunch of voters who turned to them in 2019 and they think that they need those voters to win the next election. And so there is a question over whether that is a direct endorsement of Lee Anderson by the back door or whether it is simply trying to avoid talking about it so that anybody can think what they want to think. But whichever it is, it has left them in what you would call a pickle. We've talked a lot about Lee Anderson here, and he is the face and voice of this particular Tory scandal. But there is another sideshow happening in the background. And I wonder if you can tell me a bit more about how the last few days have played out with other Tory members. Yeah, and this is nothing new, right? I mean, first of all, we should say that the Conservative Party has had questions over Islamophobia for many years. Um, and since the 2010s, there have been tons of examples on social media of conservative councillors, of conservative officials saying flagrantly Islamophobic things, and there being no real structural acceptance that there is a problem in the party. They held an investigation a few years ago, and there was a lot of dissatisfaction over the way that was conducted because it very much focused on processes instead of on the fundamental question of whether the party had a problem with Islamophobia. And that has been something bubbling away in the background for a long time and relates to problems all over the Western world about the way that Muslims are treated and the way post 9-11 that they have been treated and all of that. What has happened since October the 7th is that the war in Gaza and the subsequent marches in the UK to protest against them have seen the repeated use of the word Islamist to refer to people on the marches, basically. And we should be clear about what Islamism is. Islamism is a belief that societies and governments should be organised according to Islamic law. And an Islamist militant would be somebody who would use violent means to pursue those ends. Mm. There is no world in which that is a description of the people who go on the marches in the very, very great majority, and there is no evidence that it is. But that word has become shorthand for people who go on the marches, and... I think really the real reason for that is to do with the media landscape as well as the political one. So you have to look at the fact that the word Islamist is thrown onto front pages all of the time. And you have to think that there is quite a simple explanation for this, which is not to do with the technical definition of Islamism, but because it is a word that you can use that is negative that has the word Islam in it. It's worth noting that today Rochdale goes to vote in its by-election, which has been controversial in its own right. And I wonder if you can tell me how that's been playing out. So Lee Anderson is not the only person to use this kind of language. And when Liz Truss was talking about Rochdale to Steve Bannon, the far-right agitator and former Donald Trump advisor in the US, she referred to George Galloway's campaign in Rochdale as being a jihadi campaign. And however appalling Galloway is, calling him a jihadi seems like something that might get the defamation lawyers interested, I would say. She also seemed to suggest that there was actually a whole Islamist jihadist party taking over British politics. I mean, she was asked several times. Yeah, and, and, and this is of a piece with this idea that there is a kind of an Islamic takeover, that there is a sort of a fifth column within British politics that is organised, and that is basically a conspiracy theory. But Truss is not alone, and several other senior Conservative politicians have used the word Islamist in recent days in ways that we might have questions about. Robert Jenrick called the marches Islamist again. Much more shockingly, I would say, is the fact that Suella Braverman said that the Islamists are in control now 
in Britain, uh, which is a very extreme and insane thing to say. And she responded to what's happened with Lee Anderson by calling the media attention hysterical. So the thing about Anderson, what he's done is he has taken a view that is percolating in conservative politics and personalised it to one person. But his fundamental theory that Islamists are seeking to take over or perhaps have started to succeed in taking over, even though there is a conservative government right now, is one that is actually pretty commonplace on the right of the Conservative Party. Sajad Karim, you sat as a member of the Conservative Party in the European Parliament for 15 years. Have you ever experienced Islamophobia within your own party? Yes, I had um, one instance that took place some years ago now. It was in the context of a selection process. Sometimes selection processes are gloves-off moments, I don't think it would have taken place if it was not for the competitive nature of the process, but it did involve two very senior individuals, parliamentarians, discussing my religion uh, and how that could be used negatively. And you overheard them talking about this? Yes, I did. Myself, yeah. What exactly was said about you or to you? It wasn't said to me. Uh, It was said about me and how my backers and some assertion was made to financial backers, none of which was true, that they would be from Arab states. And secondly, in relation to the type of membership that would vote for me. And it was put across that if the wider membership could be made to believe that I was being funded by sources outside of the United Kingdom um, from Arab countries, that that would be something that would put them off um, voting for me. And that my appeal in terms of the membership is in any way restricted solely to people who are from my background or religious persuasion or, or people who look look like me. It was a lot of pigeonholing type of activity, shall we say, uh, and trying to just, uh, I suppose, get you know people to believe the worst about you know uh, an individual like me. How big do you think it is within the Tory parties? These allegations of Islamophobia from within. Well, I think when you get to a stage where the government of the day have a particular problem staring them in the face and they are unable to call it out for what it is. And the only reason they cannot call it out for what it is is because the Conservative Party as a whole has refused to accept that there is a concept, a definable concept called Islamophobia which leads to, at the very least, discrimination, if not exclusion or indeed harm. Why do you think there is this reluctance? Because, I mean, in your career, you would have seen a pattern emerging. You know, in 2020, you saw 300 allegations of Islamophobia alleged within the Tory parties. There was a review in 2021, I believe, you know, with 
figures from Hope Not Hate suggesting that 47% of Tory members view Islam as a threat to the British way of life. 58% believe there were no-go areas in Britain. This stuff has come up again and again. Why do you think there is such a reluctance to name it and address it? It's entirely political. There is a section of the Conservative Party that wants to lead in this coming election, and indeed since 2016 onwards, they've become ever more vociferous. They wish to lead not on policy, but upon an agenda of culture wars, as it's described. And really, the party leadership is going to have to make a decision at some stage. Are they once again going to become a party of serious government, a party that is uh, a one-nation conservative party that represents all parts of the United Kingdom and all communities in the United Kingdom? Uh, Or are they going to go down this route of culture wars, which you know, have been stoked up. And I, I think the biggest culprit has to be Boris Johnson. This whole atmosphere really took on a turbo charge under his premiership. And it's not been quelled since. It'll be interesting to see if Rishi Sunak decides to take this on, or are they going to go down this rabbit hole? Well, at the weekend, Rahman Chishti, who is the Conservative MP for Gillingham and Raynham, He said that Rishi Sunak had vowed to work together with him on tackling Islamophobia. He said to me, Raymond, I'm committed to this and we will work together on this if I become prime minister. Well, he's in prime minister now. Has he kept his promise to you? I have not seen the prime minister for over a year and a half since he's become prime minister. Chishti had agreed to support Sunak's leadership bid, but since entering Downing Street over a year ago, Rishi Sunak's actions haven't matched his words. Do you think the current Prime Minister takes this matter seriously at all? I think the current Prime Minister actually finds himself in a very, very difficult position. Not just on this issue, on a whole variety of issues. And the reason for that is that the Conservative Party is today a divided party. And the divisions are so deep And the uh, numbers in terms of how the numbers of MPs stack up and and which side of the divide they fall on means he has a very, very delicate balance that he has to try and maintain. You also have to recall that there was infiltration into the Conservative Party membership from UKIP. And that infiltration hasn't as yet fully worked its way out. And those people within the membership um, hold views which are at least to, you know, the the very, very right of the Conservative Party, if not way beyond the, the scale. And some of them are in very prominent positions within local associations. And that has a very real bearing, not just on the prime minister's thinking, but on the thinking of MPs as well. But ultimately, what you're saying is that it seems that he has put the issue of party management and his position with that over stamping out Islamophobia. Yes, but, you know, the the country as a whole finds itself where it is today. And it's not in a very strong footing because, unfortunately, many conservative prime ministers uh, over the last few years, and there's been several of them, have put party interest before country interest. 
on some very crucial matters, whether it was Europe or whether it's Islamophobia today. Coming up, what does this week's row over Islamophobia tell us about how the Tories might campaign in the general election? And then it would just occur to me that, oh, he's, he's not here anymore. Like, I was crushed. What happens when an AI corporation kills your boyfriend? Listen to Black Box, a new podcast series from The Guardian. Seven stories about AI and us. Coming soon. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Archie, we are now in an election year, so we might assume that everything political parties are doing is with one eye on that. So is there a political strategy here? And can you hazard a guess at what it might be? Lee Anderson is a provocateur and he loves attention. And indeed, he's being paid £100,000 a year by GB News in order to say things like this on a show for them. But he has never done anything which would suggest that these are not views that he legitimately holds. So I think people should be careful before writing Anderson off as somebody who is simply doing it for effect. I think he clearly thinks these things as far as we can tell. Whether it's a strategy more broadly in the Conservative Party, I think when you look at their response over the last few days, it is clear that they have been thinking very carefully or you might say panicking, 
over how they can respond to this in a way which appears to take it seriously but doesn't alienate the voters who they believe they need in the so-called red wall seats who came to them in 2019. There are a lot of people who would say that assuming that people who voted Conservative in 2019 or who voted for Brexit and live in the North are racist or at least have sympathy for views like this is perhaps not the best way to win them over, A, and is probably a generalisation that reaches into being offensive to many of those people. But nonetheless, it does appear to be something of the Conservative strategy this year. But the problem with it is that Rishi Sunak also knows that, meanwhile, he has to try to desperately shore up the seats that he is losing in other parts of the country to Liberal Democrats and Labour. And the problem for him there is that by trying to do those two things at the same time, he falls between two stools. So you could call it a strategy, but I think I would call it more of a kind of a panicked attempt to deal with a crisis without really knowing how you're going to get through it. It feels like he's busking in response to a very difficult situation. It feels like what he is doing is deliberate, but I think calling it a strategy is too complementary to the thinking here. You make it sound like he's almost sort of blundering in the dark here and hoping for something to fix itself without actually having a plan. But isn't there a sense that really he doesn't take Islamophobia all that seriously? Oh, I think that's definitely true. And a really important part of this is where the balance of the media is in this country and how likely conservative supporting newspapers are to hold conservative politicians to account over that. Politicians respond to incentives just like anybody else. And the incentives acting on the Conservative Party tend to tell them that Islamophobia is kind of fine. Archie, nonetheless, the Conservatives have watched and made great hay over the fact that Labour was dealing with its own anti-Semitism crisis just a few years ago. I mean, the current party is still very much shaped and scarred by it. Do you think that this row over Islamophobia within the Tories could have potentially the same effect? And do you think there's anything that they've learned from it? Well, I think they have learned something from it. But I think what they have learned from it is that when there is a crisis over racism in the Labour Party, that will draw very significant attention. And when there is a crisis over racism in the Conservative Party, that will draw less attention. Over the last few years, it has been repeatedly clear that Islamophobia is taken less seriously by much of the press in this country, and also that a crisis in the Conservative Party is taken less seriously by much of the press in this country. So I think that is the lesson that they have taken from the history of it, and that might partly explain why they have wound up in the position that they're in today, where they are scrabbling to make sense of this very odd position where they will say that it's wrong but not Islamophobic. It's very hard to imagine now a senior Labour shadow cabinet minister saying that an anti-Semitic incident was wrong but not anti-Semitic. Wherever the press is, I think it's pretty clear that the country as a whole has lost faith with the Conservative Party. And I think scrambling to hang on to the portion of the electorate who Lee Anderson represents is not going to be enough to save them from electoral oblivion in the next election. We'll wait and see. Archie, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Archie Bland, editor of The Guardian's first edition newsletter. Do sign up to get that every morning in your inbox and read his column on this story titled Sunak, his media allies, maybe even Lee Anderson, know Sadiq Khan is no Islamist, 
This is Tactical Racism. And you can find that all at theguardian.com. Our sister podcast, Politics Weekly, is also diving into the story. That's live right now. And before we go, I want to mention a brilliant new Guardian podcast series that starts this week. It's called Black Box. It's about artificial intelligence. Well, actually, it's about our relationship with AI, the ways in which it might help us and the ways in which it is going to be very bad. Each episode follows a different story from deep fakes to facial recognition. It's presented by our very own Michael Safi, and new episodes are out every Monday and Thursday. Subscribe to Black Box wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Sammy Kent. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.